Good day to you. I am Sharon Roberson Pender and the president and CEO of the Capital Region Minority Supply Development Council and the operator of the U.S. Department of Commerce's Minority Business Development Agency located in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the first one of its kind in, in the Commonwealth, in the history of the Commonwealth. As an organization, the Capital Region Minority Supply Development Council is one of 23 regional affiliates of the National Minority Supply Development Council. And our mission is to certify, connect, develop, and advocate for minority-owned businesses. This year, we are incredibly excited and blessed because we are celebrating 50 years of advocating for and connecting our corporate members with well-established minority-owned firms. This month, as we continue our podcast, we're honoring Juneteenth, recapturing our history. And let me tell you how we're going to do that. We're lining up folks, icons, vanguards um, to discuss activism, activism, sorry, contributions and, and their public service as it relates to recapturing our history, um, particularly with around minority businesses. Today we're having the conversation and we're we're starting this out. I'm just so excited, so excited. And you'll understand why. Because with us today, we have Reverend Dr. Douglas B. Sand Sr. Reverend Sands was involved in public service at both the federal and state government levels related to minority affairs. But before I bring him on and tell you a little bit about him, uh, we've got to um, take some time to recognize our premier corporate sponsors. Exelon and, and Incorporated of Exelon, of course, is BGE and Exelon Company, Pepco and Exelon Company, Capital One, Amkis, one of our premier minority businesses, and another premier minority business is SB and Company, and of course, the Virginia MBDA Business Center. As I share it with you, this is kind of like a special edition of the series in, in our podcast and thought it appropriate um, to start this conversation with Reverend Sands. A meeting at the U.S. Department of Commerce was a pivotal point is where he began focusing his fight for minority businesses and in what manner. He met the first head of the Commerce's Office of Minority Business Enterprise, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, who asked Sands to be his deputy. But Sands' plans were to pursue minority business enterprise and find ways by which he could help make it affect large numbers of minority people. And so um, when we look at Reverend Sands, it's long history, but for years he has been involved in public service at both the federal and state government, as I just shared, related to this um, area. And his tireless work um, with Maryland, then Governor Harry Hughes, um, is, is actually monumental as well, because that began 40 years, um, his 40 years, I think, stint in this particular area. He has extensive public service we'll talk about. He he's also became a licensed as a local preacher in 1979 and earned a master's degree in divinity. And though officially retired from ministry, continues to volunteer to preach. So many owe to much to Reverend Sands, his tireless advocacy and the foundation of the state's minority business program, um, the path that he has forged and cleared for 
all of us, we stand on his shoulders. And I will never forget my first encounter on going encounters with Reverend Sand because he is an incredible human being. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Reverend Douglas Sand. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I've been treated very well by your team. I feel like I am not only here at home, but there with you at home. Okay. So they, they treated you like the king that you are. I get it. I'm just, um, and I'm grateful for, for them to doing that. But when we started, Reverend Sands, when we started thinking about and strategizing about Juneteenth, you know, this is the first year that, um, well, it was signed into in, law last year, but this is the first year that it was observed really, really as a federal holiday. We wanted to take that, the whole concept of Juneteenth and um, the Emancipation Proclamation and why Texas, you know, two years and um, finding out to, to also take a look back, to take it as kind of like symbolic look back at what has been done around minority businesses. And I got to tell you something. This morning, I was on Capitol Hill with an old friend of yours, Tony um, Anthony Robinson, and I was part of a round table. And that round table was um, headed up by um, Congressman Payne out of the New York, New Jersey area. He happens to be a ranking member on the infrastructure committee. And the thought was to bring these large infrastructure businesses, some advocacy organizations such as ours, um, as well as some minority businesses to talk about issues faced um, by minority businesses, but in particular, how do we solve this issue and make sure that we're part of the infrastructure um, project? As you know, um, Biden signed in by executive order and there's been trillions of dollars earmarked to go um, across the country through the states to um, the money they're spending, whether it's in DOP, um, I'm sorry, in DOT, um, wherever those areas are, in order to get some of this infrastructure work done. I have to ask you, and I'm sorry, it's a long way of me just asking you a simple question. What parts of that is deja vu for you? Because back over 50 years ago, there was an infrastructure project, correct? If I remember in my talking with you, there was an infrastructure project that kind of sparked some things as well. Can you... Can you talk about that and how you got engaged in that? Because I think in order to look back in history, we need to figure out or understand or hear what has happened in the past. Thank you. One of the major parts of the apparatus of progress is to find people who are really interested in making that progress. Mm -hmm. And at the time that the uh, infrastructure became important to us and the parts of it that would affect us directly in Maryland. I had for a great deal of time been engaged at the federal government level and there is where I met Abe Venable and others in the Department of Commerce who were interested in making uh, minority businesses work. Uh, and of course, that had to be on the state level uh, to begin with, but also because there were capital capital improvements being planned, such as the um, subway for uh, Baltimore. And this is way early 
in, in the planning. Uh, mm -hmm. that we were able to begin to do things that would make it better in Baltimore City and in Maryland for minority contractors. Also, this was uh, the time that the plan was being laid to build and begin the construction of the Alaska Trans-Alaska pipeline. Mm -hmm. So there were a couple of big projects that could uh, mean a great deal for the development of minority business in Maryland because we had also at the same time elected Perrin Mitchell to Congress. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had, and at that time also, and just prior to that time, uh, we had the development of a masterpiece of uh, uh, work done by uh, a uh, white author, a classic called Black Capitalism. And although we had a Republican administration at the time, it became an attractive notion to people in the Nixon administration and others as well to progress through the apparatus of uh, uh, business. Uh, and some changes were made in the Small Business Development uh, Act, the Small Business Development Act to set up a guarantee program for, for small businesses and find a way to engage minority businesses in these projects through the uh, Small Business Administration. These kinds of uh, support systems are not all that is needed, but the apparatus for putting together support systems uh, becomes very uh, useful and just absolutely necessary uh, for the development of minority business to be done with the infrastructure notion uh, well ahead of the time that uh, things are being put in place so that there are those who can relate to fulfilling the needs of minority business through that infrastructure. So those four or five uh, uh, parts of putting together the way in which it would be done uh, were already uh, underway. And because of the high visibility of Congressman Mitchell and others like him, uh, we were able to get in, what do they say, on the, on the ground floor of some of it and be a part of it. That, and this is phenomenal, but when I think about that, and I look now, you know, over 50 years later, at that particular point in time, however, um, you know, Congressman, Congressman, Congressman Mitchell, the first African-American congressman from the state of Maryland, so this is 1970, I believe, right? Um, and then yes. when you talked about the, the, the Baltimore subway and you talked about the Alaskan pipeline, there was this notion that minority businesses couldn't play in any of that, right? And so it wasn't a negotiation of how much a goal is going to be, and that's the conversation now. It was, you know, where's the, where can, because there was no regulations in place. There were no policies in place right. for inclusion. Right. And so there was the, mm -hmm. the the bitter fight. This was, you know, this is barbarians yes. at the gate kind of thing, right? And so can you describe well, for those, the uninitiated, to understand what it was to truly pioneer inclusion in an environment that was, you know, it wasn't Jim Crow, but it was Jim Crow feeling like um, in terms of... Yes. Um, you know, um, minority business. Can you describe that? The fights you had to do yes. to get in um, for the subway, for example. 
Yes. I'll get to the subway after mm -hmm. I've talked about the pipeline. Okay. Because one follows the other. Okay. Because of a bigger bill, it's a $9 billion project in Alaska and lacking women and minority contractors. And Pan, uh, Congressman Pran Mitchell asked me, he went to Alaska and uh, was spearheaded the forming of a minority contractors association there with 22 black contractors who were born and raised in Alaska. Then asked me to go to put together the contracts with um, the Bechtel and um, Seoul. I, I've forgotten the name of the other one, but I, I did that uh, before forming the Contractors Association in Maryland. That resulted in my being there three years. And uh, the major, one of the major problems with, with, with that is what we encountered everywhere. People felt we were putting them uh, out of the business opportunities they should have by appearing. Mm -hmm. And some of this went so far as um, in, the, in the facility that we put together, the contracts that we had there, we had 258 Teamsters working for our Contractors Association, Alaska Associates Incorporated. And the Teamster Union uh, was in charge of much of what was going on in the sites that we were uh, and threatened to, to kill me and, and, and inform my wife back here and did things like that. So uh, that there were threat of bodily harm. There was the fact that I was there uh, for uh, months without being able to get people through the union hall. So at that experience and being on the pipeline three years and finally getting with a full um, uh, uh, payroll of people to be engaged up to 258 uh, Teamsters uh, on, mm -hmm. on working on the pipeline. Um, it was a high challenge, but it was also the kind of experience that uh, once it's done, once uh, you got the feeling nothing else can stop you, that all of it is worth doing no matter where it is. Uh, uh, because, uh, first of all, being in, in and living in Alaska is a challenge in and of itself. But to know I was going to ask you about that. Don't want you. Yeah, but uh, now it was upon returning from that, and um, that was 1975, 1976, when that ended, uh, we were already in the process of preparing for the uh, uh subway in in baltimore and but before you, Congress... before you go to the the subway can i go back to alaska for a moment because something you said is, is real yeah. clear and I, to get to get a, a true feeling of that i mean you you are from howard county maryland you are you leave your family yes. you're in alaska um and I, yes. I would imagine there's there's a climate difference if nothing else and yes are you are you there by yourself with no support resources? Yes, absolutely. That's incredible. Uh, at, the, and then, mm -hmm. at the time, I was engaged along with um, Ted Holmes in beginning a project called um, Chicken George. We were going to start a new franchise line. And um, when Perrin called me to go, it had to be done right away. I didn't have money. I borrowed money from him to go. And... Um, the plane landed and we couldn't take off. And so I was, I was in Fairbanks uh, um, <laughs> alone uh, and there for a while. 
before I could get things to work. And it was because of what Perrin could do from Washington that we finally got things to work. And I, in our private conversation, I'll tell you about someone else you may want on this program because um, he came out and joined me. Uh, and, and you may want to talk with him as well. Um, okay. But the work there is so serious, uh, dangerous. We lost, there were 14 among those that I had there working who didn't come back. Um, they, they wow. I guess things are thawing out. I don't know if they'll ever find, but we lost people there because that was probably the first place where I've been where I t felt so totally unprepared and inadequate, but I had no alternatives. Um, mm -hmm. We had to do what we needed to do, and God thoroughly blessed me uh, and um, convinced me <laughs> that uh, all things are possible. And it's not only from belief, it's what you're able to do and what you can able engage others to do. Um, it was far beyond what I had ever expected that I would do, but it became absolutely necessary because there was no choice about whether or not I could leave. And um, there was no choice either about whether or not that pipeline was going to be done. And it got done, as you know, as everybody knows, and got done on time. It was a great growing up experience. Great experience for putting together the Minority Contractors Association here in Maryland and insisting on getting a level of participation that would satisfy the contractors and the government and the minority community. Um, how were how were you I able to, to identify? How were you able to identify those contractors that 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 were there? You mean here in Maryland or no? in Alaska. They had been identified. Uh, they had not been engaged. They had not met. Um, Perrin had left, uh, had, had given uh, his contact. He went and, went and met with them. And they oh. all were assembled at one point. They were all assembled at one point in Fairbanks. So that um, being engaged in Fairbanks, they got to meet them. But it was okay. when we got to the pipeline where we met the opposition. And, um, uh, but they were all, some of them, no longer participated in the association, but they gained from the income that we earned for the association. We earned money for the association by work on the pipeline, as well as for their individual companies, if they were willing to engage their individual companies. But through wow. that association, everybody uh, profited from what we did there. Um, and all That's of the times you see, yeah, that, that we could not develop the contractors association here in Maryland to that extent because there was no one con one project mm -hmm. as uh, long and outstanding as that one project there where we could engage people long enough to stabilize their business. That was a three-year job. So we could yeah. engage people long enough to stabilize their business and stabilize the association, organization, location, and um, the business that we did conduct of the business but identify together okay i see a motion picture in my head i'm just envisioning what that could have been like um but now you're back in in baltimore and you were going to talk about um the baltimore subway and then i'm going to ask you about public law 95507 okay the um the beginning of the baltimore subway was under the uh, state government, from the federal government, under state government, while um, uh, Congress, uh, um, 
Governor Mandel was still the governor. And at that time, uh, the Secretary of Transportation was Harry Hughes, who later became the governor. And um, Harry Hughes had entered the state legislature as a delegate from Talbot County. When on time came Shore. for, yes, on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, mm -hmm. uh, when the time came to begin the work of the subway, uh, we got the con we got involved in the contract and whatnot during the time that Marvin Mandel was the uh, governor, and uh, we had in in Baltimore in Annapolis the day that the contract was let for the construction of the subway. We had organized well enough that we had a, over a hundred uh, black and other minority contractors in Annapolis, and. Um, took over the appropriations meeting room and the members of the appropriations <laughs> committee themselves couldn't meet. Uh, we became very unpopular during that time to the state legislature mm -hmm. uh, and to many other people uh, because we had nothing to lose. Um, and they, they, as a matter of fact, they call state troopers to put us out of the state capital. They just didn't move on us as everybody, I guess, who called thought they would. And at that time, with Mandel still the governor, the award, much to our surprise, for the, the contract to Baltimore City was let to a business out in St. Louis, uh, Friend and Coleman. And the provisions that had been made for minority participation was 2%. And we didn't want that. And it went, of course, to the Board of what is it, Public Works, I think it's called down there. Yes. Uh, and uh, it was at the time in Annapolis and it was signed into law and they were leaving town with the contract. And we finally got ourselves together, get away from there and got to the governor's office. And um, Governor Mandel thought it was so serious. He called them back and told them that he couldn't leave town to go to St. Louis with the contract until they settled things better with the minority contractors. Okay. Um, and it, it, well, things were getting unruly in uh, mighty so. In, in Annapolis and along with some others who had been in Alaska with me, uh, we knew that we weren't facing anything compared to what we had faced in, in Alaska. And it's not because we were bad guys, we were tough or anything like that. We knew that it took a great deal of resolution and depending on uh, uh, being able to actually do what we said we were going to do both in the contract and um, uh, with uh, making sure the contract didn't get done. One of the, <laughs> Robinson probably knows about this too. One of the things we told him at, at the Port Board of Public Works when the, with the governor sitting there was they could let the contract in Annapolis, but they had to do the work in Baltimore City. And we see mm -hmm. that no piece of apparatus moved in Baltimore City until we got what we wanted. Uh, we got 15% uh, of the contract finally before they were allowed to uh, go to uh, St. Louis with the contract. And uh, Governor Mandel uh, put them in a room with us and said they couldn't leave and put a big jug of cutty sock in the room. I hope you all get comfortable. <laughs> he just dismissed it. He did. So cutty sock that, did that deal. Yeah. And for, for folks, I, I want to remind our audience, because the General Assembly at that time was probably, what, 99% white. Um, Absolutely. 
you know, I think because people forget, like now we have one of the most diverse public, you know, um, public assemblies and um, general assemblies in, in the country with a huge black caucus. But then it was it was no diversity on it, little or no diversity on it. It was uh, Mandel had a, a Baltimore slant. So uh, and then the corruption piece happened and, and then he was um, actually he went to jail Um and then you had this Eastern Shore governor of Harry Hughes who comes on in the midst of all of this. And so just wanted the people to have the backstory to understand what that was like. And if I if I understand correctly too, when you talked about taking over the General Assembly, um, did I recall hearing, reading someplace that um, you guys kind of locked up the state circle with dump trucks? Yes. With their backs held up in the air. <laughs> that was beautiful. I would I know that was beautiful. And then you went into the assembly room and you sat in the chairs or something. And in the chairs, and we had a delegate in those days, I think he's passing his name, Wilson. He walked on the desks. And the cops just the police, the state police after a while thought it was too crazy even to believe, I think. And they didn't arrest us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they didn't take the trucks. Yeah, I wow, know we are. That must have been a, a beautiful sight. They probably just didn't know what to do. A, a bunch of yes, black contractors did. taking over yes. the state house, basically. Wow. Yes. I, I'm so, I gotta add, I, I don't want we did it so other people wouldn't have to do it later. I, I, yes. I don't think that it shouldn't be necessary now. So it's not to make a model for anything. Mm-hmm. Things are, we should be taking advantage of the opportunities we get immediately so that nobody who's doing what's going on now will ever think they'll put us back where we were. That's right. That's what we have to guard against. Yes. We'll take advantage of every opportunity we get because somebody has paid for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so around that time, because I remember um, the stories around um, even the passing of 95507, which um, when Congressman Mitchell introduced, I think at 10% into a transportation bill and and uh, lawsuits ensued, you know, once they found out that that happened and that mandated the inclusion, if, if federal money is used in any of the state contracts, then they were mandated to include ten per, at least 10% for minority business spin. And that caused a hailstorm across the country and lawsuits started coming out of, of um, the, the everywhere. Can, do, you, do you remember, or can you talk about Congressman Mitchell and what that was like and how that tied into some of the things that you were doing as well? Yes. Um, I don't think that we'll, I, I wanna thank you personally, because in one of your uh, uh, wonderful ceremonial uh, acknowledgments of minority business, you gave me the uh, Congressman Perrin Mitchell Award, and Mm -hmm. I I value it. Um, He will never be given the amount of credit that he is due. Um, This period of time uh, passed quickly. Uh, and what he did 
then has paid off for us well because people were in place to take advantage of it. And it gave us the opportunity to be able to do things that we had wanted to do when we were held up with such things as, well, they don't have bonding. And then nobody would give us bonding. It became mm. a matter of legislation. It was difficult to enforce as a matter of legislation, but it was there and it was usable for those who did want to help us to advance, saying, well, you know, it is the law. Um, that's one of the great advantages of having it made the law. So it worked well for us. Now, the other part is that uh, Steve Sachs, uh, as you recall, Steve Sachs ran for governor of Maryland with Perrin Mitchell as lieutenant governor. Okay. Back in, uh, uh, also after Steve had left as attorney general, um, at the end of Hughes's uh, uh, governorship, they ran together. Uh, but in the state of Maryland as attorney general, Steve Sachs, with our office, uh, man, had uh, Governor Hughes agree that every contract, each of which as a state contract, has to be signed off for legal sufficiency by an assistant attorney's general for the state. There's one assigned, of course, and works in every department. So he started the policy of making sure that no contract went to the Board of Public Works, signed off for legal sufficiency that had any less than 10% of minority participation. Wow. And that was a big problem. Mm hmm. Wow. Incredible, incredible stuff. It was Harry Hughes that actually appointed you to and with the creation of the governor's office of minority affairs. And when I talk about I stand on your shoulders when I, you know, um, um, it was 2003 when I took that position. But because of you and your vision, it was created. And could you tell us a little bit about what that was like? What was his expectation of you? And what were the kinds of things that you accomplished? I want to talk about that. And also, I want to talk about your work in leading the Minority Contractors Association and all the things that happened with that. Because I think of I think of people like... Um, Okay, Bob DeShields and, of course, Tony Robinson and Franklin Lee yeah. with the Bell Def. And, I, you know, I think of um, others and some of the, uh, that some of who have gone on and path. you know, I, in, I know Arnold Jolivet came later, but I, I think about him and um, but others. But let me kind of go back. Let's talk about the Office of Minority Affairs under Hughes. And then then let's talk about the the creation yes. of the Contractors Association and why that's important. Uh, Governor Hughes and I had had previous acquaintance. Um, when he ran for, in, the, in, in Talbot County, was elected to the state legislature as a freshman delegate. Uh, I was, at that time, the executive secretary of the Maryland Commission on Interracial Problems and Relations which is that which is to, to the forerunner of our state civil rights commission today. And we're doing things all over the state, trying to get a state public accommodations bill passed uh, between 1959 and 1963, I did that work. And Harry Hughes was the only 
representative uh, out of the delegation from the nine counties of the Eastern Shore who voted for, supported, and tried to get others to support that public accommodations bill. Okay. There were other things we were doing to get volunteers, people to open restaurants voluntarily that he worked in. And he remembered uh, through the years coming in as Secretary of Transportation and seeing what we were doing and agreed uh, upon not only having a minority business enterprise uh, program, but also an office of minority affairs to look at things that happen to minorities who are employed in the uh, state government, but uh, also other state contracts beyond what was going on with the infrastructure work. Um, and uh, when he needed someone, parent, Clarence uh, Mitchell, and that's another story entirely, um, uh, recommended me, and I had to be approved by the state uh, Senate and Clarence, uh, Senator Clarence Mitchell III. I was instrumental in getting me approved by the state Senate. That was because of our previous arrangements, the, the things that we had experienced, both Clarence and me and um, Governor, then Governor Hughes and me, that uh, made him decide to bring me in. And as we looked at what needed to be done, uh, he agreed that on, that we'd have an Office of Minority Affairs and that he would put it on his staff. And so we had an Office of Minority Affairs of 11 person staff that was on the governor's staff while I was there. And he mm -hmm. uh, put out of the governor's So working out of the governor's office? Yes, yes. Um, it was... Uh, it made the job a lot easier to do uh, because all understood that it was the governor's office that was sending us on the missions we went on, the things that we, that we were attempting to do with the state. Some of them succeeded and some didn't. Um, but that office, uh, we proposed some things for the state that we thought were going to be good forever. But... Uh, we could not get the support um, as the years went on uh, in private enterprise to make some of them work. Hmm. But it's, it, it, um, it is expanded, as you may probably know, to include small business now. Um, and then when um, I was there is when the, the governor, then Ehrlich, made it a cabinet level position. But had you not yes. been involved in the creation of it, years before then, um, it, and, and it remains a, a part of the executive um, department, um, I think that your mm -hmm. vision of that is, is tremendous and why it kind of work. Um, mm -hmm. And I yeah. think about people like John Petty, who told me stories about when you were in there as well. John Petty, when I went to um, respond to what the job was, the U.S. Department of Commerce actually uh, had a local office in the state of Maryland was paying for it. And they were calling it the Maryland Office of Minority Business Enterprise. When I got on board with the governor and discovered that, I, I objected to it and said, this is Maryland, you know, and the state of Maryland should pay for it. And they would mm -hmm. 
they were under contract arrangement where they would be three months behind in getting paid. And I didn't inquire about things before I took the job. But once I got there and saw that, uh, the state, uh, the United States government sent their paycheck and was already three months late uh, uh, for them. And, and I was there and got it. And then John Petty came in and others and explained to me this was a check that was their paycheck and whatnot. But I put it in the envelope and sent it back. So I heard yeah, <laughs> John, I, I don't think they'll ever forget that. I don't blame them. But when I mm -hmm. went to the governor, say ain't nobody getting paid. They're three months behind unless you put them on your payroll. And that's how I got them on. John Betty told you that. He did. Wow. Okay. He I didn't also, know whether they were keeping me. I didn't know whether they would keep me. I, and plus, it, it, I had them graded. I had them, I had them. They didn't have any benefits. And there were 11 of them. So I said, Governor, you got to put these on your payroll. And he did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's sometimes you, sometimes you just they have to ask. Them. Them. They yeah. But, but, you, you, but you're the kind of man. I would have convinced that. Huh? Say, well, say it again, Governor. <laughs> I didn't know you knew that. Yeah, yeah I didn't. I I, matter of fact, I, I, that upset me. That upset me. Mm-hmm. I know some other things too yeah. that I won't tell right now in terms of the, the protesting, <laughs> okay. the things, the, the fights that you had to, you know, go through in order to get that. That's because I think about, let's talk yeah. about the, um, with our remaining time, let's talk about the Contractors Association. Um, I can think about, I, I was always impressed when I took this job, you, you all were very supportive. And I think about people like Bob Clay. Um, and who mm -hmm. sacrificed a lot on behalf of, um, uh, he, he looked out for other minority contractors. I think about Carl Jones. I think about Bob DeShields. I, I think about others that um, were in it for the, the, for the greater good. And you don't see that kind of spirit yes. and commitment anymore. Yeah. But you all sacrificed so much, your families, you know, um, getting paid, um, just the continuing struggle. Um, but you never wore that struggle. Um, but, um, but that, but the struggle was real. So can you talk a little yeah. bit about the contractors association and some of those things? Because my organization, the Capital Region Minority Spot Development Council, is the combination from back in the day of the Baltimore purchasing organization and the DC purchasing where he's at, when they pulled them all together and became at that time, the Maryland DC council, we're 50 years old this year, but mm -hmm. understanding the weight, the worry, the sacrifice of the contract association is what I'd like our audience to hear about. Well, one of the things that you probably heard that you're not going to tell that better this is what you're asking me. I went to jail for having a black business conference in the uh, <laughs> convention center. That's and, the story I heard. Nobody. Well, yeah, I have a good friend named Marvin Standback who came and got me out. Um, mm -hmm. uh, not that contractors wouldn't do it. My wife had appealed to him because the plan was that I stay there. 
but my wife had appealed to him and he was a member of our church and he felt he should do what uh, she worried him to death. So he came and got <laughs> That occurred because there were many people who would support us, except that whenever I talked about us, I didn't talk about minority contracts. I talked about black contractors. Okay. And I had a black contractor and uh, they would not approve the state paying for it. But I went on and had it anyway. And, and, and I don't know how they finally paid for it, but it wasn't paid for at the time I was getting out. But that did happen. Um, and that's kind of unique. But there are situations and times when the point arises that there's no more that you can do. And uh, mm. in those days, that would be presented pretty regularly. It would get you off the case and whatnot, but you had to face it that way. That uh, if, it, if this fails, I'm finished with it. Uh, if it's going to uh, emphasize some of the things that really need to be done. In other words, uh, there is a type of uh, resistance that you have to uh, confront with stronger resistance with uh, uh, that in grander days they call martyrdom. Well, it's not martyrdom. It mm -hmm. is depending on the very strongest that you have in you um, to get to get things done. Um, there were challenges like that along the way, um, and and. Uh, Secretary Pender, I, I don't know for sure that we don't have people like that. We have people like you. Um, and that's what's needed. Uh, what, what, I, I don't think what we did is needed anymore. I could be entirely wrong. Um, but I don't think it is. Um, I think we need better means of negotiating. We needed it then. Our means of negotiating was just getting to be tougher than, 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 than they. And um, that's, that's, that's not a, way, a good way to do business. Uh, when you're talking about business, you shouldn't have to go about it the way that, that we did. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and insofar as effective protests, the uh, social media makes it more effective now. Um, mm -hmm. People find out about what we were doing when it was done, not when we're getting ready to do it. So mm -hmm. we were almost single-handed. We had to prove what was going on by being in there and getting it done. Now people hear the message and they're tired of hearing the message and they show up. And um, it's an improvement uh, for those of us. And as you have mentioned, Bob DeShield is still around. Hanford Jones is gone. Robert Clay is gone. Arnold Jolivet. Most people are gone. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who are gone, the people, the youngsters that are coming after me um, have the problems that they see in the way that they see them. And I don't know anything other than encouragement that I could provide uh, because the resistance, they, 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 the resistance that they have, you see now blossoming as armed, confrontational, public uh, uh, resistance. And um, whatever it is that they are attempting to do that might be uh, trying to get advancement 
like we were trying to get advancement from where we were, um, to me, appears more difficult to do today. And I would only encourage them, whatever amount of self-resolution and of uh, righteousness, that's a, a word with, with already being defined, I suppose. But um, one of the uh, important things that I, I learned in going through this journey, uh, being a pastor, is that Jesus did announce to John the baptizer that what he was about to do, and it didn't mean just the baptism, I'm convinced, was to fulfill all righteousness. Mm. The job that we started is mm -hmm. done for everybody. Got to fulfill everybody's need for being treated equally. And, 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 and the means of doing it won't always be a, uh, like we did it in, in any respect. It might have to be more in the mood that uh, is established now, and I don't like it, but that may be what it comes to. Uh, and I don't want to go there on this kind of discussion, but it does provoke that in me because we, we avoided that just from what we were sure. doing. I'm not sure that those who are following me today is going to, going to be able to avoid armed confrontation. Yeah, I understand that. There's a lot to be learned. And ladies and gentlemen, we were able to sit at the feet at one of the greatest, Reverend Douglas Sands. This has been a rich conversation, um, one that we certainly want to share with the world. Um, and as we kind of, and how appropriate is it, right? How timely is it? Because I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here, a lot of best practices as we look at the modern day Alaskan pipeline and Baltimore subway through this trillion dollar infrastructure package. And so I'm going to start correcting people that said that we've never seen anything like it. Yeah, we have. And I think it behooves us to look back and listen to you and folks like you to figure out how we do it better. Thank you, Reverend Sands. You know, you are someone I've always admired and I appreciate your time. I appreciate you providing us with such insightful information that we will cherish. Thank you. It was wonderful being here with you, Secretary Tender. God bless you and all. Okay, listen, I've, I've got to see if we can do this again, because I know there's more things that we can talk about, but this is just, this does my heart really well to begin with this. So thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, wow, what a time. What a time we've just had. Um, whew. But as I shared with you before, um, this is an exciting year as we celebrate our golden anniversary. To learn more about the upcoming programs, visit our website at www.crmsdc.org. And if you missed any of our hot chat podcast episodes, you can visit www.crmsdccares.com. But before we go, before I thank um, the team, how about we just take another look at all the corporations that are committed to the mission and support this podcast and the other things that from our MBDA centers and our, um, our council. 
And let me just quickly go through them. AARP, Allianz Science and Technology, AT&T, BAE Systems, BWI Thurgood Marshall International Airport, the City of Baltimore, DC Department of Small and Local Business Development, Dominion Energy, the Ellison Group, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Financial Realty Services, the Hilton, Horseshoe Casino, Lidos, Lockheed Martin, M&T Bank, Maryland's Governor's Office of Small, Minority, and Women Business Affairs, Mass Mutual, McCormick, Northrop Grumman, Parsons, Peapod, Prince George's County Office of Central Services, SAIC, Sodexo, Truist, United States Postal Services, University of Maryland College Park, University of Maryland Global Campus, Washington Gas, Metro, Zillion Technologies, and Zones. Before I go, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our Coronavirus Response and Relief Project that funds um, this production and our media team for the behind the scenes support and helping us make this happen today. Our producers, Sonia Bigelow-Smith, Nicole Miles, Creative Director, Renee Production, Line Production, and of course, Graybow Solutions. Until the next time, thank you, and we'll see you soon.